Every couple has those serendipitous moments and points of connection that become staples in their relationship. And my wife and I are no different. My name is Lauren Burkell and I am Ford's wife. Lauren and I met actually after university. And it wasn't until we had been dating for a while that we realized that we had actually gone to the same university and in fact been in the same program and only been a year apart. And because of this, we had been a part of many of the same classes and had many of the same professors. One professor that stood out was Dr. Renata Wickens. It was the first class that I walked into my first year of university. It was a Friday morning class taught by Dr. Renata Wickens. She really cares about the students and their experience and every year updates all of her course materials, all of her lectures. This was the only class I ever received this alert on was we had to ensure that we picked up our course kits or our school books as quickly as possible from the school store because other universities like to purchase her course kits as soon as they were available so that they could use those articles and those updates in their own courses. That gives you a sense of how passionate Dr. Wickens was and how much she put into each class. And it was her goal to make us think and to question and be, as she would say, active learners. People who would question everything that they were taught. And it was this sort of goal that made Lauren and I sort of hone in on this one particular class that really affected us both and specifically affected Lauren. One thing that's great about Renata's classes is you would read the articles, which would be dense or challenging material, but that was dense and yet still palatable and would be of interest. And then she would unpack that within her classes um, and create discussion that was animated and exciting. And in this particular instance, the article was studying um, origin and she used this as an opportunity to discuss the origin of the photograph and who actually invented it. The article Lauren is referencing is Nietzsche Genealogy History by Michel Foucault. And I took this exact same course, but a year later. We also did the history of photography, but we did diverge a bit into the autochromatic process, which explored the early color photography process put out by the Lumieres. The idea of this lecture was to show you how what you assume to be the truth within history wasn't always 100% accurate. By the end of the class, I'd realized myself that truth is in the eye of the beholder and there is no real truth and there is no real origin, which kind of left me scrambled <laughs> by the end of the class <laughs> and for the rest of my life. So you can tell that this professor left a big mark on both myself and my wife. And when I was dealing with some color correction issues, I couldn't help but think about the autochromatic process. With color correction becoming so popular these days, I wanted to stop and look back at some of the earlier processes of color. And particularly, I wanted to focus on the autochrome. And that's what I want to focus on in this episode of AOTG.com Presents Ideas. So this class by Dr. Wickens introduced me to the autochrome, and from there I fell madly in love with it. It's such a beautiful photographic process. If you've never heard of the autochrome or you've never seen an autochrome, I need you to take a moment 
and go look it up online. The reproduction of color is very pastel, and when you're looking at these autochromes, the color reproduction reminds you a lot of maybe a Monet painting or Cezanne painting. And so when you're looking at these photos, it's reality, it's a real image, but it doesn't, it feels almost like a painting. And so you need to see this for yourself to get an understanding of what we're talking about. It's a very, very special process. The way those colors sort of blend and mix, there's really nothing else like it. That's John Wood. He wrote the book on the autochromes, or one of the books on the autochrome. No one, unless you've seen an autochrome beforehand, has ever seen that kind of color. It's so rapturous. And the first time I saw an autochrome, I could barely believe it. I mean, you pick up the plate as black, you lift it into the light, and all at once, it's just like Howard Carter looking into Dutch tomb. You're seeing wonders, uh, things like you couldn't quite imagine. I reached out to John when I started working on this episode. When I became interested in the autochrome, his was the first book that I, I discovered. And it's an accumulation of autochromatic photographs from the beginning of the autochrome all the way up to the end. And he has a section that describes the history of the autochrome. Here's John explaining the history of the autochrome. Well, people had for a long time, just as the idea of... Uh, Holding the image, you know, making an ordinary photograph like Fox Talbot did, but something to, to retain the image because we knew, or people knew, that photography was possible. It was just what was going to fix the image. And so, you know, they were working with all sorts of things. They tried to fix images with urine, with anything you could think of, to hold a, a leaf or a, a face or something like that. So, out of that, then the idea was, well, color had to be a possibility, too. But then, you know, with the Lumiere's and the fact that they were, you know, serious pioneers and researchers devoted to coming up with, you know, film and uh, autochromes and all of this, you had, uh, had the process finally just develop, and so they announced it in 1904, as I recall. The Lumiere's presented the autochrome to the French Academy of Science on May 30th, 1904, and then three years later they began production. The way the autochrome is made is made very differently from the way we make modern film. In fact, the Lumiere's crushed potato starch and then would dye it the three primary colors. The potato starch is mixed with a few other chemicals and then sandwiched between two pieces of glass. One of the difficulties in attempting to recreate an autochrome is that a lot of the chemicals that they used are extremely dangerous, but also that a lot of the tools that they used no longer exist. Over, over the years, I've gotten inquiries from a great many people saying that they really want to make autochromes and how, how can they do it. Unfortunately, it really can't be done anymore because two, two of the things that are required are potato starch of a microscopic size dyed in the, uh, in, you know, the three colors, and then also the machine that the Lumiere's used for uh, pressing the, the pieces of glass with the emulsion on. Well, if they get the machine going, that's a good step. Then the other thing is managing to get microscopic potato shell starts. Uh, so there are a lot of pitfalls there uh, to possibility of, of uh, making something like real autochromes over again. Like all good things, the autochrome's time in the spotlight came to an end. The autochrome's fate was sealed when other color processes that were much easier to use 
became available. In fact, in 1935, Kodachrome was released. And Kodachrome was so popular that Kodak continued to sell it until 2009. Now going back to Dr. Wickens and the whole Michel Foucault article. Everybody understands that as you tell a story through generations, details change and get amplified. And suddenly I'm thinking, okay, what is real anymore? And what can I actually depend on? And um, in a situation like the photograph where there are two different groups working towards the same ends um, and both come to their discovery and invention around the same time, but then we just need to award one as the winner. It's a very strange position you suddenly put yourself in because you start to think, you know, there are so many other scenarios where we don't really know the full story. And we, or where the loudest person is the one who's heard and um, you're missing so much detail in, in so many stories. In fact, some of the other color processes included the three color process by a guy known as James Clerk Maxwell who proposed the idea in 1855. And then the first successful photograph with this process was taken in 1861 by Thomas Sutton. So the autochrome is far from the first photographic technique. And for us in film and post-production, we should realize that color in motion pictures actually started before the release of the autochrome with experiments in tinting. And even though color film started appearing more widely in the 40s and 50s, there was actually other color processes. For example, Leon Forrest Douglas, the founder of Victor Records, developed a system that he called natural color, and he showed an experiment in this film technique in 1917. And they even did a feature film in 1918. And in the 1920s, there was a subtractive color process developed by none other than Technicolor. And this system used beam splitting in a specially modified camera that sent different colored light waves to the black and white film. And then there was a whole approach to processing this negative. But this was an extremely expensive process, and so it never really fully caught on. So that's everything and how I got into the autochromatic process. Before you hit stop, I do have one more thing to add to the history of the autochrome. You'll notice that John said that you couldn't recreate a autochrome without microscopic potato starch or the machines that the Lumieres created. But what is interesting is towards the end of our interview, he mentioned a man in France who may have discovered some of the machines, but he didn't know if the man had ever got the machines to work. So I did a quick search and actually found this guy. And what's interesting is he's actually been able to get it to work. And so you can actually see modern day autochromes taken in France. So what I've done is I've posted it to a new section on AOTG.com, AOTG.com ideas, which will be the home for any episode like this. And so you can find a link there to all these new autochromes. I've also placed a link to John's books there. And with that said, I think that's, that brings us to a close on the autochrome. Join me next time when I sit down with film associations from around the world to figure out how to start a film association, how to maintain an association, and how to expand an association. All that in a three-part series of AOTG.com Presents Ideas. I'd like to thank John Augusta Wood for allowing me to interview him. I'd like to thank Erica New for helping me with the research. I'm Gordon Burkell. Thanks for listening.